Welcome to Arise Baptist Church this morning. We're so glad that you're here with us today. Our men feasted yesterday on barbecue. Uh, we weren't quite like the children of Israel on manna and quail, but it was pretty good. And thank you, Brother Larry, for all that your work putting that together for us last night. And uh, we just had a wonderful time of fellowship, wonderful time as the gospel was preached and we were challenged as men. I'm glad you're here today for our friend day here at our church and looking forward to a wonderful day as we get to celebrate what Jesus did for us in dying on the cross for our sin so that we could have eternal life. If you came today as an, by being invited by somebody else as their friend, I'm so glad that you're here today and so glad that you can join us and worship with us today. I hope that the service will be a blessing and a challenge to your heart and to your life today. We uh, had a lot of things going around here this week. If you, you were here Wednesday night, you saw the big giant pile of dirt in the parking lot. Thankful for all the folks that worked hard to make sure that was taken care of. We had a slight plumbing issue. Slight is an understatement, to be sure. And uh, we got that taken care of and things put back together. And got a lot of work done on the nursery this week. Got a few little odds and ends and details to take care of, but got more space for our babies. And we're thankful for all the people that did work on that and all the blessings with that. In fact, I'd like to just thank a couple people especially who have really led the charge on the nursery and that. I want to thank Josh and Anna Tanner. Thank you for your service there and helping us with the nursery. And uh, Anna's going to leave in town this week and Josh too. And uh, we just, Shandy's got some flowers there for Anna to say thank you to her. We're glad for all their work. Thank you guys for your blessing to us and service and many other people helped. So many people worked. I think one day I counted there were 10 different people here working on the project all at the same time. Thank you for giving. Thank you for serving. Thank you for your work and all that was done. What a blessing it was. Well, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer now because we need His help this morning, don't we? We're nothing without Him. We need God to move in our hearts today and to take His Word and to encourage us and challenge us. So would you bow your heads with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. We thank you for the blessing of being able to gather together to worship you publicly. We thank you for the freedom to do that. Lord, we thank you for the work that you did yesterday in hearts and lives. Lord, we're excited about what you're going to do this morning. Thank you that we have a reason to gather to worship you because Jesus is alive. Thank you for his sacrifice that we just heard the choir sing about as he died on the cross for our sins. Thank you that we truly can have victory in Jesus. I pray that you'd be with our service this morning. Be with the rest of the singing and the junior church time and the adults as we're in here hearing your word preached. Challenge us. Help us to walk closer with you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to dismiss our boys and girls out for their junior church time. So thankful for all that's going on just down the hall as the gospel's being preached to them, as they're being challenged to walk with the Lord. And so, boys and girls, let's pray for you before you go and pray for Josh as he preaches to them. Let's do that right now. Father, I pray for the boys and girls as they're dismissed Work in their hearts this morning. Be with Brother Josh as he preaches to them. We thank you for the ministry to our children. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, boys and girls, you're heading out. 
with Brother Josh and uh, the rest of us. We're going to take our Bibles this morning. And so thankful to have my good friend, Brother Tom Farrell, here to preach for us this morning. And I'm excited to get to hear him again and to be challenged from God's Word again. I've known him since I was a boy. He used to come and preach at the camp where I would go in the summer times, and, and God used him in my life as he would preach the Word to challenge and encourage me. And then I had the opportunity to sit under his tutelage as he taught us in preaching class. So after you hear him this morning, you'll understand I have a long way to go. I got a lot to learn, but I'm thankful to learn from somebody who has experience and has used that experience faithfully to preach God's Word all around the world. And so you listen to him this morning, not because he's such a great man. Listen to him this morning because he's preaching about a great God. And we have the Word of God. And we're going to be challenged by that this morning. Brother Pharaoh, would you come preach to us now as God's laid it on your heart. Thank you for being here. Thank you for letting me be here. Three years ago, I sat in the car at the Wilds Christian Camp and Conference Center. And this fellow right here told me his vision and mission to plant Arise Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Here we are. Aren't you glad he had a vision? Aren't you glad that he was excited about that? And uh, I have been looking forward to coming. It's exciting. The last three weeks I was in California, Colorado with church planters. Uh, one of the fellows has just gotten a piece of property and I went out and helped him look over the piece of property and we dreamed about what God is going to do there. And then last week I was in California. The place was struggling, but now uh, they're running about 250 people in that church. And you are in a wonderful, wonderful place, and I'm excited about what God has done and will do over the last two years and what you have for the future. Apologize, my wife cannot be here. Uh, she's recovering from acute myeloid uh, leukemia, diagnosed 16 months ago, has been through all the chemo, bone marrow transplant, and uh, is recovering now from residual effects. But uh, they just told me about three weeks ago they think she'll be able to travel again this coming fall. So amen. And I'm excited about that. And she's praying for the service this morning. I met your pastor <coughs> when he was a teenager. How old do you think you were? Probably 13, 14. 13. All right. I think I was 15 at the time I met you. <laughs> and so it, it's been good and we've been excited about that. And I trust that we can have a great time in the Lord. If you're visiting, you're in a very warm-hearted church. And I want to say thanks to Larry and all the men that came last night. We had a great time, had some men saved. Uh, yesterday, last evening, uh, Brother Culver, Will's dad, took me downtown Houston and showed me all the sights and everything that's going on around there. You've got a large mission field. There's a whole lot of people who need Jesus. Let's talk about that this morning. Take your Bible and go to the book of Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. If you're visiting this morning and do not have a Bible, look to your left or right. Somebody does, and you can look on with them. If you have a Bible, let somebody look on with you because this is the textbook. It's the truth book, and it will help us to take another spiritual step. Thanks for the choir this morning. Wonderful song on Mercy Tree. Plan to be back with us tonight. 5 o'clock, unless God changes my mind, I'm going to talk about an interesting character in the Bible named Barney. You say, where is he? You'll have to come to find out. And uh, he's one of my favorite heroes, and I have been preaching about him recently, and people seem to really identify with him. And so you'll be back tonight at 5 o'clock, and we'll talk about how to be a Barney. Stand for the reading and teaching of the Word of God, if you will, please. I'm in Acts chapter 1. 
verses 6, 7, and 8. When they were therefore come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, without this time restore again the kingdom of Israel. He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The middle part of verse 8 reads, Ye shall be witnesses unto me. For a few minutes this morning, we're going to talk on this topic, the biggest business in all the world. Thank you. You may be seated, and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we enter your gates with thanksgiving and courts with praise. Bless you for who you are and for what you're about to do. I pray if anybody's come to church but not Christ, help them to understand the difference between a religion and a relationship and get in God's family, and then help us all to understand what the biggest business is and to undertake that business so we can be blessed by a holy God. In Jesus' name, amen. If I walked up to you today and I said, what is the biggest business in the entire world do you know? If your response was Exxon, Chevron, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, or Walmart, you'd be wrong. Biggest business in all the world is not financial, legal, medical, or even educational. It's a spiritual business called witnessing. And I know that from the words of Jesus Christ recorded when he was a 12-year-old boy when he said, Wist you not, then it must be about my father's business. In Luke 19.10, he tells us what it was. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Eleanor Scarborough said, Go after souls. It's the biggest business in all the world. John Wesley said, You have one business, brethren, the business of lost souls. Even the Reformed theologian Charlie Spurgeon said, Our main business is to win souls. If that's true, and it is, why are so few born-again believers actively, regularly involved? Zonovan Research said recently 97% of people who say I'm saved have no evangelistic outreach at all. It's further believed by the time the average Christian dies, 95% of them will have led no one to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Why does it appear that nobody's telling everybody about somebody that can save anybody? I think there are three reasons. One, fear. Some of you I've met, most of you I do not know. One thing I'm sure we all have fears, and one of the fears is people. What will they think? What will they say? Will they turn us off, never listen to us again? The second fear is the presentation. Well, I might not get the verse right. I might mess it up. So there's fear. Second, there's failure. In the minds of many people, if I witness and that person I witness to does not get saved, I'm a failure. Please let me help you this morning. It is our responsibility to witness. It is God's responsibility to save. Nobody is a failure who obeys God. And then there's just flesh. Somehow you think the reason you're here is more, than the reason, more important than the reason God sent you here. It might shock you, but God addresses all of that in Acts chapter 1. Here's the setting. Jesus has been raised from the dead, seen by over 500 people at one time, validating he's alive. Well, he now, having been resurrected, goes to the Mount of Olives. He assembles his disciples. He assigns them, answers them, and one of them pipes up and says, Now, Lord... Will you at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? In essence, Jesus said, Sir, that is irrelevant. My Father's going to take care of that. Here's what's important. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. So we're going to ask and answer this morning, how can every Christian get involved in the biggest business in all the world? Number one, you must have the convictions of a soul winner. What's that? A conviction is that about what you're convinced and compelled to do something about it. Let me say it again. Is that about which you're convinced and compelled to do something about it? If you're not compelled to do anything about it, you don't have a conviction. You have an opinion. 
Lots of people have opinions that never change their lives. Great convictions always precede great actions. Well, in the passage, he says this, Ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That word power is a wonderful word. Let's say the word power together. Ready? Power. Say it like you have some. Ready? Power. It literally means ability. Here's the first conviction every Christian ought to have. I have ability in Christ to be a witness. Now I've heard people say, well, I can't be a witness. Wait a minute. If you're saved, inside you lives the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. He's the same Holy Spirit who came in Genesis 1 and 1 in creating power. Same Holy Spirit anointed Jesus in Matthew chapter 3, and the same Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 11, who raised Jesus from the dead. How can you say, I can't, when God lives inside you? You say, well, preacher, I get scared. Join the rest of us. In the early church in Acts chapter 4, they had witnessed, they had been threatened. You keep this up, you're going to jail. They called a prayer meeting. The Bible says in 431 of the book of Acts, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, watch it, and spake the word of God with boldness. Cowards become conquerors when you understand the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, preacher, you just don't understand my personality, knowing you don't understand mine. When I was in high school, I could not give an oral book report without getting scared out of my mind. Can anybody identify with that? How many of you ever had to give an oral book report? Raise your hand. You know why English teachers make you do that? They hate you, that's why. <laughs> Either that or they hated what they had to hear. I told the men last night, I stood in front of a class and forgot the title of the book. It's a great blessing. You just stand there with your face hanging out. You say, well, what are you doing preaching? Well, I surrendered and God took over. He's not really interested in your ability. He has that. He's just interested in your availability. Now, truthfully, if you say, I can't witness then you're either unsaved or unsurrendered. Now, if you've not been saved, you don't have anything to say until you get saved. I was preaching in Cambodia, and we'd had, I mean, a gully washer. Lots of people saved. It's the last morning. I'm getting dressed. I'm going to catch a flight and go back to the United States. A missionary I had not met came to pick me up. He said, Dr. Farrell, I'm going to take you to lunch, and then I'm going to take you to the airport. And I said, well, Ron, I don't know you. Give me your testimony. Now, here's a testimony. It's like a picture frame. When did you get born again? Where did you get born again? Who led you to Christ? How do you know you're going to heaven from the Bible? He said, well, this will shock you, but I was an assistant pastor in a Southern Baptist church, still in the United States military, and wasn't saved. I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, my pastor came and said, Ron, we're going to go soul winning. And he said, I went out in the car, and I got in the car, and we showed up at the first house, and I figured he would talk. And he said, my name is Pastor So-and-so, and this is my assistant, Brother Ron, and he has something to tell you. <laughs> he said, I looked at that lady, and I said, I got saved when I was a child. I got saved when I was a child. He said, that's what I was told. He said, I didn't remember anything about it, but I was told I got saved as a child. He said, I had nothing to say. I went back, sat in my office, and he said, I've never met Jesus. Two weeks later, he got born again. You don't have anything to say for him until you first listen to what he has to say to you. And if you've not been born again, you're in the right place and this is the right time today. Number one, we have ability in Christ. But look again in the verse, he said, ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be. Now don't miss that phrase. He didn't say, would you be, could you be, 
you would be nice to be, he said, ye shall be. So first we have ability in Christ. Second, we have authority from Christ. Now, what do you mean? Some time ago I was hosting a conference, and the road that I came in that night when I left, I could not get down. It was blocked. There were police cars. They had their lights on. And one of the police officers came up, and he put his hand out like that. Now bear in mind, the car I'm driving is far heavier than about a 200-pound police officer. But when he put his hand up like that, I stopped. You say, why'd you stop? His authority. He was given by the state of North Carolina the authority to stop me. I didn't argue with him. He said, we've had a bad accident down here, sir. You'll need to go that way. I never argued. I simply said, this is direction. He said, yes. He said, you'll see another one, and he'll direct you out. Now, why did I do that? That's what I was told to do. Do you realize, ladies and gentlemen, God is not encouraging us to witness. He's commanding us to witness. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, you may be saved and going to heaven, but you're not following Jesus until you start fishing for men. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, he said, you're the salt of the earth. 5, 14, you're the light of the world. In John 17, Jesus is praying what we call his high priestly prayer. Interesting what he prayed. He said, Father, as thou hast sent me in the world, so have I sent them into the world. If you look that up, it's used 123 times in the Bible. The word sent is a military term. And he was saying, Father, as I left headquarters under your orders, now I'm sending my disciples in every generation to be a witness. So you can be a witness or you can be disobedient. What is a witness? Well, uh, most of you realize in Texas, if you're summoned to court, you're supposed to go and tell what you've seen, heard, and know. Failure to go, you can be arrested and in prison. It's called contempt of court. You realize when God says be a witness and you don't, that's called contempt of Christ. What is a witness? In the, in the New Testament, our English term martyr comes from that word witness. A martyr is a person who believes so much in something he's willing to, to separate himself and sacrifice anything and everything for that in which he believes. Now, folks, it's simple. It's taught in the Bible. It's the last words of Jesus before he goes back to heaven. He said, look, I'm giving you authority to do this. I'm giving you the ability to do this. But then the third conviction you need is there's accountability. Because the angels, as Jesus is going back to heaven, said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. Now, many of you have been saved for a while, and you know that one day Jesus is coming, and we're going to see him, but don't miss this. He's also going to see us. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 12, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. The word account means a verbal rendering. We're going to tell Jesus why we did or did not obey him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that every man may receive the things done in his body according to it done. Whether it be good, good to witness, or bad, bad if we don't. What are you going to tell Jesus when he holds out his nail-pierced hands and said, I did this for you and commanded you to tell everybody about it, why didn't you tell them? Now, you better figure that out if you're not going to witness because there's coming a day you're going to have to face him. You say, well, preacher, I've been passing out tracts and I've been witnessing, hadn't seen a lot of people say, that's okay. 
You do what God tells you to do. You take care of your business. He'll take care of his business. And in John 12, 26, Jesus said, Him that honoreth me, him will my Father also honor. Get it. You honor him here, he'll honor you there. We have ability, authority, and accountability. Everybody needs that conviction. But the second thing I want you to see this morning is the communication of the Scripture. Now, how are we going to tell what we're supposed to tell? Well, it's already written. All we've got to do is figure out how to deliver it. So take your Bible and go to the Gospel of John. If you're in Acts, if you'll back up one book and go to John chapter number 3. John chapter number 3. I'm going to do two things this morning. Number one, I'm going to show everybody in here a way. I didn't say it's the only way. But I'm going to show everybody in here a way to witness. So here's what I need you to do. Everybody right now, get yourself a pen and pull it out from somewhere. And if some of you guys are saying, I don't have one, ask your wife. She has a suitcase called a purse. She's got 49 pens in that thing, okay? So borrow one. Everybody get a pen. And I'm going to put a road map. I was taught how to do this by a coach years ago. And I'm going to give you, show you how to put a road map in the Bible. Now here's the second thing I'm going to do. Everybody look right up here because I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to think it through. If you were to die exactly like you are right now, we'll say it again, if you were to die exactly like you are right now, are you positive that you're going to heaven? Can you prove that from the Bible? Now if you just said no or I don't know, while I show everybody how to share the gospel, I'm going to share the gospel with you. So let's start in John chapter 3 verse 1. John 3, 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Now let me explain why I start here. If you were to ask somebody today, hey, are you going to heaven? Do you know if you're sure you died, you go to heaven? Uh, have you been saved, born again? Most people will respond the following. I'm Baptist, Catholic, Methodist. I've been confirmed. I've been baptized. What they're saying is I am religious. That's what they're saying. Now you've got to understand Nicodemus. That's the reason I start here. Nobody you have ever met in your life is more religious than Nicodemus. Nicodemus fasted two out of every seven days. Do you do that? Nicodemus gave 10% of everything he owned. Do you do that? Nicodemus had Bible verses in his clothes. Open yours and see if you've got any Bible verses there. Now here's what Jesus said. He said, if you're not better than that, you don't stand any chance of going to heaven. So you've got to get this morning what Jesus is going to say. Your work doesn't work. Your religion's no good. How do I know? Look down at verse 3. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. I like that phrase. Let's say it together, everybody. Here we go. Born again. One more time. Born again. It means born a second time, born from above, born of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, can you see Nicodemus? This guy's memorized the Old Testament. He is a teacher of theology. And Jesus just told him, you're not going to heaven. Can you imagine him going, well, look now what he said. Nicodemus said, well, how can a man be born when he is old? Verse 4, can he enter a second time to his mother's womb and be born? He said, no, wait a minute. You're telling me I'm a senior citizen. I'm going back inside my mother and come out a second time? That was his whole frame of reference. Look at what Jesus said down in verse 5. Verily, verily, I say to thee, except a man be born of water. There's one birth. And of the Spirit, there's a second birth. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. So he's talking about two births. Now he explains it. Look down at verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Marvel not that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, everybody here in this building has been born of flesh. You've had a water birth. Water in this passage has nothing whatsoever to do with baptism. Nothing. It's not a million miles there. It's not what Jesus was asked, and it's not what he answered. He said, now, Nick, you understand there was a time you were inside your mother, and you came out, and they've called it for centuries water birth. How many of you realize everybody here today has had a water birth, or you ain't here? It's real simple. Now, I have a question. Did you birth yourself? Did you all of a sudden show up one day and say to your mom, hi, guess who's here? You say, not a chance. Okay, before you knew you were you, your mother knew you were coming, and your first birth was a gift to you by God. The second birth is a gift to you by God, not through your parents, but through Jesus Christ. So here's the bottom line. You've got to get this. Nobody, nobody will ever go to heaven who has not received the second birth. It's not what you earn, it's not what you achieve, it's not what you pay for, it's not something church can give you. If you don't get born again, you can't step in heaven, see heaven, or live in heaven. Now here's a transition. When I give the gospel, as I did the other day and often, I say to people, you're probably asking what's wrong with my first birth. Now doesn't it make sense if you've got to have a second birth, there must be something wrong with your first birth. Let's find out what it is. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Romans. Hang a right, go through Acts, and then end up in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. And look down, please, at verse 9, because we're going to answer the question, what's wrong with my first birth? Here's what uh, the writer Paul says. What then are we better than they? No and no wise, we before prove both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under, what's the last word, folks? Say it good and loud. What is it? Now look right this way. I want to ask you a question, so it's really simple. According to the Bible, how many people are under sin? Look down at verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. According to the Bible, how many good righteous people are there? Everybody look up here, let me ask you a question. You ever heard anybody say, I'm good? You ever heard anybody say, I'm going to heaven because I'm good? Where did you get that? The Bible doesn't say everybody's good. It says everybody's bad. And God ought to know because he made you and sees everything that we do. We'll look down at verse 23. For the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, what does it mean to come short of the glory of God? Well, I use my hands as an illustration many times. This hand represents God. This hand represents you and me. We've all sinned and come short of the glory. The word means opinion of God. So what's the right opinion of God? Righteous, holy, perfect. Who are we? Unrighteous, unholy, imperfect. So here's a question. How are we imperfect people going to give the right opinion of a perfect person? Think it through. How are we going to do that? You say, well, I'll join the church. Well, that'll make you a sinner in church. Well, I'll join this church. That'll make you a Baptist sinner. I'm going to get baptized. Now you're a wet Baptist sinner. I'm going to study my Bible. Now you're an intelligent, wet Baptist sinner. But you're no closer to doing what you're going to do than when you started as a sinner. So here's the answer. Nobody can give the right opinion of Jesus until Jesus makes them good. And that's what's taught in the Word of God. So if you don't get a hold of that, you're never going to understand how to be saved. Now, people from time to time will say to me, I'm going to heaven because I keep the Ten Commandments. Here's what I say every time. Wonderful, name them. <laughs> 
99% of the people you meet cannot name the Ten Commandments. So let me give you three and see how well you do. The Bible says, thou shalt not covet. Would anybody like to stand up and say today, I have never wanted anything that didn't belong to me? Uh-oh. Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Would anybody like to stand up and say today, I have never lied in my life? We'll all say, sit down, you just did. <laughs> Would anybody like to say, uh, when, when the Bible says, thou shalt not uh, steal, would anybody like to get up and say, I've never taken anything that didn't belong to me, including an answer off of somebody else's test paper. You see, there's one, two, three strikes and you're out, and I didn't give you the other seven. Because by those three, that would make you a lying, thieving, covetous individual. And Jesus said, if you commit one sin, you can't get in. Heaven's a perfect place made by a perfect person. And nobody's getting into heaven with any sin. So what's wrong with my first birth? Second, uh, what, is, what happens if I don't get born again? Turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. What if I don't get born again? Doesn't everybody eventually get there? I preached along these lines one day, and a guy was mad, and he met me in the lobby, and he said, All roads lead to Rome. I said, Wonderful. Go to Rome if you want to. I want to go to heaven. <laughs> and you ain't getting there on your own. Well, I didn't think about that. You see, all this jargon that people use does not match the Bible. So what happens if I don't get born again? Everybody look down at Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is, everybody say it. Now, if you look up this way, I'll explain that. In the Bible, death is not annihilation. Death is separation. Again, I use my hands. This hand represents your body. This hand represents your soul. Technically, as I told the men last night, you're not a body with a soul. You're a soul with a body. Because God made man the living soul. Now, there's going to come a day you die. All right? When you die, your soul will not cease to exist. Your body will be buried, but your soul will live somewhere forever. Luke 16, 23, the rich man also died and was buried. There's his body and in hell. Now, for what I told you is not true, how did he get buried when he went to hell? Because you have a body and a soul. He lift up his eyes. He's wide awake. Being in torments, worst form of pain known to the human body. Sees Abraham afar off, Lazarus' bosom, and he cried. He said, Father Abram, have mercy upon me. Sin Lazarus may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented, tortured in this flame. You say, Preacher, have you ever seen anybody burn? Yes. I pray I'll never see it again. I was driving all night to a meeting. Our traffic had slowed down. It was completely stopped on this side of the highway. Billowing black smoke. As they motioned us through, the rescue operators were all trying to come and get into a truck. And when I looked into the cab of the 18-wheeler, this guy was evidently pinned in, his hands failing, and he's screaming on fire. If you ever see it, you'll never forget it. Somebody said, did they get him out? I don't know. They wouldn't let me stop. But you need to understand this. If you go to hell, nobody's coming to help you. If you go to hell, there's not a second chance. Now, it is possible that some of you have gone to church, and here's what you've heard. Well, there's a heaven and hell, but if you're not good enough to go to heaven, you're not bad enough to go to hell, don't worry, you can go to purgatory. Do you realize the church that taught that never taught it to the 1100s? Study your history. What did they teach before that? There is no purgatory. 
I have said it in 56 countries. I'll give you a million dollars to find one verse anywhere in the Bible that proves a literal place called purgatory where you go when you die. You get purged, you get out, and you go to heaven. It's not taught, never has been taught, never will be taught. There's a heaven, God wants you there. There's a hell, God does not want you there. But if you can't get into heaven because of your sin, there's only one other alternative, and that's hell. You say, that's bad. Well, keep reading, because this is good. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but, well, that's a wonderful word, the gift of God, let's all say that phrase, gift of God, ready? Gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man said to me, God doesn't damn anybody to hell. I said, you're exactly right. I am? I said, yeah, you're exactly right. God has never damned anybody to hell. If you go, it'd be all your fault. Because the Bible says God has a gift because he loves you. It's eternal life, but it doesn't come through the church, the sacraments, the Baptists, the Pentecostals, or baptism. It comes through Jesus Christ the Lord. So if a gift is a gift, it's got to be paid for. So how did God pay for the gift? Six hours one Friday, Jesus, God in a human body, went to a cross. If you'll study, you'll find they nailed his hands and his feet, and out of his body came blood. Why? Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, Hebrews 9.22, there's no remission. Jesus didn't just die. He died a sacrificial death of crucifixion because the blood he gave was the payment for our sin. He was taken from the cross dead and put in the tomb. Now hang on, because this is the best part. Three days and nights later, he came out alive in the body and in the soul. And only a living, loving Savior can give you eternal life. People, I, I get a kick out of things people tell me. Well, what about all the other religions? I said to the guy, stand right there. Please tell me any leader of any religion, any founder who died, was buried, and came back to life, and we'll talk. And he said, you got me. You see, there is nobody else. All the rest of the leaders who have died are still dead. Now, I have a question. If it didn't help them, how do you think it's going to help you? But when Jesus died, he was only temporarily in the grave, and for the last 2,000 years he's been alive because that's proof of who he was, and when you come to Christ, not as a way, but the only way, you can be saved. So how do you get this gift? Well, go to the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament, and go to chapter 1. Now, if you've had your pen, we have seen John 3, 1 through 7. We've seen Romans 3, 9, 10, and 23. We've seen Romans 6, 23. And now we're in the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 1, and the question is, so how do I get this gift? Don't make it any harder than God did, because here's what he said in Mark chapter 1. Look at verse 15. 14 is first. After John was put into prison... Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, the word gospel means good news. Look right up here. Let me explain something. Why in the world would a man who's a senior saint look at you this morning and say you're a sinner? Because that's the way we all are. Now, look right up here because if you don't get this, you'll never get saved. A person who tells you the truth is not your enemy. If they have an answer, they're your friend. On February the 12th, 2018, a physician said after long test, your wife has acute myeloid leukemia. My wife could not wrap her mind around that. I did immediately. I took her to another oncologist. 
He said, this is validated, it's true. He called his friend, Dr. Patel, and Patel said, because I heard him on the other end of the phone, get her to the hospital immediately. My wife didn't hear that. When we got there, another oncologist, because we have four of them, named Dr. Goldstein, came in, and he just assumed that she was going to take chemotherapy. And so he began to explain what we were going to do, and I was getting it, and my wife looked up innocently, and she said, well, Dr. Goldstein, what if I choose not to take chemotherapy? And he, she didn't even finish the sentence. And he looked at her and said, lady, you have two to three months to live. Now, you can call Goldstein mean if you want to. You can call the other guys unkind if you want to. But every one of those men is my friend. Every one of them. Because then Goldstein said, but lady, we believe if you'll allow us, with chemotherapy and bone marrow transplant, you'll live. You know why she's alive 16 months later? It's not because the oncologists were mean. The oncologists had read the report. They had all the blood. They had all the details. They had all the x-rays. And they knew what we did not know. As a matter of fact, my wife and I thought she had a bad case of the flu. But it wasn't flu. It was chemo. It, it was cancer. Now, folks, you say, well, I'm not as good as somebody else. You're not going to get saved. Well, if anybody goes to heaven, it ought to be me because I do as much good as anybody else. My wife could have gone out and could have taken her bank account because I gave her one. She could have cleaned it out, but she'd be dead today. Don't ever get mad at people that are honest with you when they have an answer. So here's the answer. Good news, bad news, sin. Bad news, hell. Good news, got an answer for it. What is it? Look down in verse number 15, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's what your responsibility is. Repent and believe the gospel. What does that mean? Well, the word repent means to change your mind. Now, folks, you can't change your life. And if you could, God wouldn't accept it. The word repent means change your mind. Have you ever trusted baby baptism? Well, there's not a person in the Bible that ever got baptized to go to heaven, not one of them, as a baby, not one of them. So change your mind. It doesn't work. I need Jesus. You ever trusted confirmation? There's not one word in 66 books of the Bible about confirmation saving you. Not one. Change your mind. You ever trusted some work you've done? Titus 3, 5 said, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done. What God? Didn't count. So you change your mind, only God changes your life. And then he said, and believe. So he, he put it like two sides of a coin. If I had a quarter this morning and I held it up, I'd say, How many coins do I have in my hand? You'd say, One. I said, no, I got two, heads and tails. I mean, you know, you have one coin but two sides. So the two sides are simply this, repent. You can't change your life, change your mind. And believe, transfer all of your trust to the one who's trustworthy and put your confidence in Christ alone. Now get this, when you come to Christ, you don't come to the Christ you make. You come to the Christ that made you. Amen. Jesus is not a God, he's the only God. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I don't know how many people I've met. I said, well, I believe Jesus is the way to heaven. I said, you're not going. I'm not, nope. Because Jesus said he's the only way to heaven. So you come to him for who he is. And you come to him for what he did for you. I told the men last night, what I'm finding as I travel America is a lot of people who have a historical Jesus. And because of what they grew up with, they say, well, yeah, there was a Jesus, and he died, buried, rose again. That's history. But you're not saved because you agree with history. The devil believes Jesus died, was buried, and raised again. He's not going to heaven, neither are you. What's the difference? You move from history to reality. 
I remember as a young man, my dad was preaching, and this thought hit my mind. I am the sinner for whom Jesus died. Jesus loves you, buried for you, raised again for you, shed his blood for you. A lot of people have a historical Jesus who will wake up in hell. You need a personal Christ that you put your confidence in. And the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I, I don't know how many people have I've said, I, one guy said to me, Well, I call on Jesus every day to save me. I said, Sir, if you ever get saved, you'll cut that out. He said, really? I said, absolutely. The Bible doesn't say whosoever shall keep calling. It's in the singular. If one sinner will repent and call one time by faith on Jesus, he's not deaf, he's all-powerful, he will enter your life, take away your sin, and you'll be saved by the grace of God. Would you close your Bibles? Let me close the service. What did we learn this morning? The biggest business in all the world is the business of evangelism. We need convictions, ability, authority, accountability. We already have the message. It's in the Bible, and if you used your pen now, you know how to give a way. Now look right up here. But it's not only the fact that we need the convictions and the communication, but we need compassion. Now where was Jesus when he gave this story? Standing on the Mount of Olives, I've been there many times, he would have been looking down at the Temple Mount, which is still there, and he said, now guys, I want you to go to Jerusalem. Tell all those people going in and out of the temple, that won't get it. And then when you go from there, I want you to go to Judea. And oh, by the way, swallow hard, boys, but I want you to go to Samaria. Now, why did he say that? The Orthodox Jews were racist in their day. You hear a lot about racism today. They were real racist in their day. They hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans had intermarried, and they detested them. So let me make it plain. I am 100% for Rise Baptist Church, but everybody needs to understand this. If there's somebody you won't witness to because of the color of their skin, where they live, their background, their religion, you need to ask God's forgiveness for your wicked heart. Because when Jesus Christ died, he didn't drive for the elite, he died for everybody. And if you're sitting here today saying, does he care about me? You better believe he cares about you. You say, I'm probably the worst sinner in the place. You're a prime candidate to get saved today. He said, but you don't know how bad I am. Yeah, but you don't know how good God is. And the worse you are, the easier it is to get saved. The people who can't get saved think they're real good. But when you know you're real bad and he's real good, then he'll save your soul. And then to the uttermost part of the earth. I just got back from preaching in Cuba. 1,250 plus people came to Christ. I'll tell you why. Why I went to Cuba. Because now the door is open. How long it's going to stay open, I don't know. There was not a door I knocked on that didn't admit us. There was not a person I shared the gospel with that was mad at me. And one right after the other, when I told them, you can know for sure you're going to heaven, they said, please tell me. You realize there's a world out there that needs Christ. They need you to get involved in the biggest business in all the world. So let me give you a compassion test. Some having compassion making a difference, Jude verse 22. Pastor and I, um, we finished lunch and he said, Dr. Farrell, let's make a visit. And so we come to your neighborhood and uh, we're ringing the doorbell and the people have just come to the door and you pull in the driveway and said, look like Pastor Cover and Dr. Farrell, what, what you're doing? You roll your window down and you hear me say, I preached on compassion at Arise Baptist Church this morning. 
the people with the window down were in service. Have they ever had enough compassion to come over you and tell you how to be saved? What would they say? In the early 1900s in the Iroquois Theater, it caught on fire. You can study this historically. 600 people burned alive. There's a 17-year-old teenage girl that got out. She pushed people out of the way, ran to a streetcar, sat down. And when she sat down, she looked down and saw her hands that had been singed, hands that had pushed people out of the way but helped nobody. She smelled the smoke on her clothing, and she began to weep. The dignified lady sitting next to her said, You ought to thank your God that you came out of there, or you would have been burned alive. And she looked over and she said, I am thankful that I'm alive. And then they heard her pray, but oh dear Lord, I didn't bring anybody with me. I didn't bring anybody with me. If you went to heaven today, is anybody going with you? So I got two questions and I'm done. One, are you actively, regularly involved in the biggest business in all the world? Two, if you drop dead today just like you are, are you sure you'd go to heaven? I have found that Using this illustration has helped a whole lot of people. This is a book of songs, one the mercy tree we just sang. But what this is going to be this morning, ladies and gentlemen, is the book of life. If you're not familiar with the Bible, Revelation 20:15 says, Whosoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. So when you have a birth, you get a record. Uh, at the county courthouse in Greensboro, North Carolina, I have a record. I know it's there because I've received more than one photocopy when I got passport. And if you really have been born again, you have a record called the Book of Life. Now let's suppose today, all of a sudden I look at the back and through that door comes Jesus. And he's got this book in his hands and I see him before you do and I drop to my knees. And you turn around and see him, you drop to your knees because every knee will bow. And he walks up here and he tells me to go sit down because I'm not better than anybody in this building. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to close this morning's service at Arise Baptist Church. I have with me the book of life and I know exactly who is going to heaven and who is not. There are no mistakes in this book. So when I call your name, I want you to stand because today I'm taking you to heaven if your name's in the book of life. But if you're still sitting when we finish this service, you're not going home and you're not going to heaven, you're going to go to hell. So name one is called, and maybe an elderly man stands and says, Thank you, Jesus. Name two, maybe a recently saved teenager. And you're still sitting. You didn't like what I preached, but you're not standing. You always said, Well, I've, I've done my best, but you're not standing. You said, But I was, I was baptized as a baby, but you're not standing. And the last name is called, and the book of life is closed. You're the only one that can answer it, but you better answer it right. Can you prove from this book that your name is in the book of life? Now, if you just said no or I don't know, best news I'm going to tell you all day is today, in just a moment, in your seat, I'm going to help you from this book get your name in this book so when you walk out that door, you'll never have to question it again. Let's bow our heads to pray. As we're bowed before the Lord, would you be as honest with me as I've been with you? I always like to warn people, one of the most dangerous things that you'll ever do is lie to God. So whatever you do, don't lie to God. You can lie to me, I'll never know it. But you lie to God, you could literally damn your soul this morning. 
so be careful. I'm not asking you to go to church. Have you been baptized? Are you doing the best you can? I'm asking you this morning, have you ever been born again God's way? Are you sure your name is in the book of life? Can you prove that from the Bible? We'll say it again. I want you to think it through. Have you been born again God's way? Are you sure your name is in the book of life? Can you prove that from your Bible? Now, if you don't know that, you'll never be embarrassed because we're bowed before the Lord, and I do that on purpose because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed. But whatever you do, don't say that you do know that because you could drive God away from you forever. But if you could say this morning, I've been born again God's way. I know my name is in the book of life, and I can prove that from my Bible. If you could say that and prove that, would you raise your hand as a testimony? Don't raise it unless you're certain. Thank you. Take it down. Now, if you didn't raise your hand, let me tell you how much respect I have for you. I am so thrilled that you would be that honest. But honest people don't go to heaven. Born again people go to heaven. So if you did not raise your hand, God loves you like you are, but too much to let you stay like you are. Today, in your seat, you can repent. That means change your mind. You can put all of your confidence in Christ, and you can ask Him to come live in your life, and your name will go in the book of life, and when you walk out without joining anything, you will know you're going to heaven. But nobody can make that decision for you. If you did not raise your hand, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. The word pray means to ask. So the prayer will not save you, but if you will ask Jesus... He will save you. I'll pray a phrase and stop. From your seat, you pray it silently from your heart to God and mean it. I'll pray the next phrase. If you'll pray it and sincerely mean it, God will hear you. And when you're finished, you will have asked Christ to come live in your life. He will forgive you, cleanse you. Your name will go in the book of life. And when you stand up and walk out of here this morning, you'll know for the first time in your life you're going to heaven. So I want to ask it one more time. Won't you be honest? Are you sure your name is in the book of life? Can you prove that from your Bible? If you just said, no, or I don't know, pray after me silently from your heart sincerely this little prayer of faith. Here's the prayer. You pray it after me from your heart silently. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I'm a hell-deserving sinner. Nothing I've ever done or can do will take away my sin. But this morning, on June the 23rd, 2019, I repent of my sin. I put my confidence and faith in you only, Jesus. I now receive the gift of eternal life. Thank you that my name is now in the book of life. Help me never to be ashamed of you. Now we're bowed before the Lord. Did you pray that? Remember, it's not the prayer that saved you, it's Jesus. But Jesus made it very plain, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And he said, if you believe on me, you will not be ashamed. One of the ways you can know that this is real is you're not ashamed. If you're ashamed, you had another religious experience, so forget it, nothing happened. But if you're not ashamed, it's one of the ways God lets you know it's real. If my wife were here today, we will have been married in the month of August, 46 years. I would introduce her to you. I have never been ashamed of her. If you really receive Christ, you're not ashamed of him. 
this is the greatest moment in your life. A moment ago, you couldn't raise your hand. <coughs> in just a moment, you can. When you raise your hand and I see it, I will say thank you. I will not name you. I'm from out of town and don't know you. But I will know today that you made the most important decision you've ever made in your life. And I will do whatever I can after the service to be a blessing and a help to you. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you prayed with me this morning, that simple prayer. You didn't just say words, but if you prayed with me this morning, that simple prayer, and you asked God to come in your life. If you prayed that and meant that, and you asked God to come in your life, right now, please, raise your hand with mine. Just hold them straight up and I'll see them. It's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Just wonderful. Thank you. You may take them down. If you've raised your hand, I've already seen it. If you did not raise your hand, but you did pray with me, would you raise your hand right now? Anybody else? You hold it up and I'll look for it and I'll say thank you. Anybody else in this building? May we stand please with our heads bowed. Heavenly Father, thank you today for some of our friends that are now family members. What an exciting day this is. And I pray that you will help these, our friends, to give glory to you for the first time in their life. And as we sing a verse of Just As I Am, this is a monumental day and you, we want to give you credit for it. Now we're bowed before the Lord. In a moment, Mrs. Cover is going to play the first verse of Just As I Am. She's actually going to play the first chord, and then we're going to sing together as we're bowed before the Lord. But before we do that, I want to speak a word only to those of you today who prayed with me and raised your hand. I'm really excited about you. And I want to tell you how you can give God credit for what He just did, but I don't want to speak to anybody else. So if you prayed with me this morning and you asked God to come in your life, wherever you are, if you prayed with me this morning, you asked God to come in your life, and then you raised your hand, right now please look up at me. Just look straight up at me. I want to look back at you. And I want to see each one of you in the face, and I want to tell you, you did the wisest thing you've ever done in your life. Your sins are gone. They don't exist. Your name is in the book of life. You're on your way to heaven and we're your family members and we're excited. The way we close services here is giving you an opportunity to please Him. Nobody's going to join the church. Watch me now, nobody's going to join the church. I'm going to come and stand next to the pastor. And when we begin to sing just as I am, the only ones of you looking are the ones of us that are looking together. And from over here and right in here and over here, I'm going to ask each one of you when we begin to sing the first word to leave your seat and come down where Pastor and I will be standing. And we're going to say, welcome to the family of God. And we want to put some free information in your hand that's going to help you walk with God. And then you'll be on your way home and you'll know that you're going to heaven. I believe you meant what you pray. I believe you meant that. When Jesus died, he died publicly. He didn't hide. He was saying, I love you. I believe you love him. So if you prayed today and you meant what you prayed, we're going to begin to sing... So you leave your seat and we're going to meet you right down front. Play the first chord, Mrs. Cover. As we're bowed before the Lord, if you're looking at me, you come right now and we're going to pray together and I'm going to have you help me sing as a congregation. Just wait a moment, Mrs. Cover. Help me sing as a congregation. Would you come right now? Some are already coming. As we sing, would you step out and come? 